You're listening to Time in the Word. Just as justification is not possible through efforts of self, so sanctification cannot be achieved through one's own energy either. Both come from the provision and power of God. The basic meaning of sanctify is to set apart. One of the four stages within the biblical concept of sanctification is progressive sanctification. It's that work of the triune God whereby he sets apart the Christian unto himself from the temptations of the world, the flesh, and the devil. This happens during the entire lifetime of the believer on earth and is achieved by his yielding to the Spirit and his obedience to the Scriptures. Paul wants believers to realize that obedience to the law was not necessary for progressive sanctification. The sinner is not only justified by faith, but he is also sanctified by faith. Paul writes in Romans chapter 1, verse 17, This good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. Let us listen as Dr. Gonzalez begins his exposition of Galatians chapter 5, verses 16 through 23. This is an interesting passage of scripture. We'll spend time considering one of the various verses that we're going to be reading. I'm not going to read the whole text for the sake of time now. We'll read it at the second meeting, but I do want to read at least the one verse that I want to spend some time in. Chapter 5, verse 16, I say then, walk by the Spirit and you will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Up to this point, we've been spending a lot of time talking about justification. That was the issue that Paul was addressing, for the most part, against the Judaizers. And now he gets around to stating that just as justification is not possible through the efforts of self, so sanctification cannot be achieved through one's own energy either. And I think it's important for us to understand that, because I know many Christians... I've probably been guilty of this myself at some point. Work very hard to please the Lord by and through self. And therefore, sort of breaking from what this passage is actually telling me. Both justification and sanctification come from the provision and the power of God, is what this text is going to teach us. So sanctification or sanctify, as we, as we, because in this section, in these verses 16 through 23, we're going to essentially speak about the basis of sanctification. So what is sanctify? What is sanctification? Well, a basic meaning of sanctify is to be set apart. If you're a student of scriptures, you find that there are four stages within the biblical concept of sanctification. I'll list the four, but we're going to spend time in one of those four. The first one is what we would call preparatory sanctification. It's the activity of the Holy Spirit whereby he quickens the sinner of his need for salvation. Think of 2 Thessalonians 2.13 where Paul says, But we must always thank God for you, brothers loved by the Lord, because from the beginning God has chosen you for salvation through sanctification by the Spirit and through belief in the truth. That's preparatory sanctification. The second one, which is the one we're going to spend some time on, is positional sanctification. And positional sanctification occurs at the moment of conversion so that the believing sinner is eternally set apart 
for God as his possession. I think of Paul's words in 1 Corinthians 6, 11, where he says, And some of you used to be like this, but you were washed. Hear that. That's, that's what he's saying about us. But you were washed. You were sanctified. You were set apart. You were justified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. The author of Hebrews says in Hebrews 10:14, For by one offering he has perfected forever those who are sanctified. That action turns sinners into saints. The third one is progressive sanctification. And it's that work of the triune God, whereby he sets apart the Christian unto himself from the temptations of the world, the temptations of the flesh, and the devil. I think of the words of the, of the Lord Jesus in John 17, 17, where he says, Sanctify them by the truth. Your word is truth. Ephesians 5, 26 He says, to make her holy, cleansing her with the washing of water by the word. And then the final one is prospective sanctification. And this one occurs either at the physical death or the return of Christ, resulting in the total separation. Now, this day is coming, folks. The total separation from the sin nature and its effects. Can you imagine? I mean, we just can't imagine. Because all we know is what we know. But a day is coming. We will be permanently separated from that sin nature that still remains in us and its effects. In this sense, it is equivalent of glorification. In Romans 8.30, Paul says, Those he predestined, he also called. And those he called, he also justified. And those he justified, what? He also glorified. So now, as we turn to this section of Scripture, Paul wants us as believers to realize that obedience to the law is not necessary for progressive sanctification. The sinner is not only justified by faith, he's also sanctified by faith. There's a verse that I want to read. I like the way the New Living Translation renders this verse, so just listen to me read it, because it it says exactly what Paul is arguing here. It says, this good news tells us how God makes us right in his sight. Think about that for a moment. This good news tells us how God makes us right with himself. Justification, right? This is accomplished from start to finish by faith. As the scriptures say, it is through faith that a righteous person has life. What is spirituality? Who is spiritual? Is it accomplished by legalistic conformity to the law? What part does the spirit play in spirituality? What part does self play in spirituality? Well, verse 16 offers some insight into the answers to these questions. Notice the first part. He says the command is direct and simple. What's the command? Walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. I'm not sure who to attribute this, but uh, someone has said that a pilgrimage of a thousand miles begins with a single step. Well, so it is with spirituality. It is not achieved once for all. It It is not an instantaneous event. It is rather a progressive, lifelong pursuit. We never truly, fully achieve in our lives to the point that we can say we're there. It is a lifelong process and pursuit. So the imperative can also be translated, keep on walking. Now think about walking. In contrast to running, walking is slower. It involves time. It involves persistence. Walking, in contrast to sitting, walking needs initiative and purpose. We can't miss the point that Paul is making here. As we we ask the question, What is spiritual? What is spirituality? Who is spiritual? If we think about what the command is, walk by the Spirit. 
it is safe to say that to be spiritual, a Christian must obey that command. So, among other things that we can infuse into the definition, we can at least start with this. If one is going to be a spiritual person, meaning a mature and maturing person in the faith, if one is going to display those characteristics that belong to somebody who is a spiritual person, then what must be true about that person is that, if nothing else, they at least walk by the Spirit. I mean, the concept of walking is an apt description of the Christian life. Here's sort of what Paul is is saying. It should be a natural, outward manifestation of the supernatural life that is within each one of us. If we are believers in the Lord Jesus and we possess the Holy Spirit within us, then the natural thing that should be true of those who are spiritual is that they allow themselves to walk by that Spirit whom they possess. A believer should be marked by this walk. Ephesians 4.1 says he should walk worthy of the divine calling in all humility. That's a spiritual person. Ephesians 4.17 says that uh, a spiritual person should walk unlike the unsaved. Ephesians 5.2 says that they should walk in sacrificial love. Ephesians 5.8 says that they should walk as a child of light. Ephesians 5.15 says that they should also walk circumspectly. That is the way all believers should be walking as they walk by the Spirit. Those requirements that we just sort of read from, from uh, Ephesians 4 and 5 of the Christian walk must be done. And here's, if we get this, we will experience some level of success. Must be done by means, not of self, but of the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and again, this has been true of me likely for, you know, often. If I intentionally commit myself to obeying these commands, clear and simple commands, what I'm hoping to see in my life will become a reality as opposed to me working hard at producing things I in self cannot produce, i.e. the fruit of the Spirit. The verse shows this emphasis, by the Spirit walk, is what Paul is saying. The believer must walk in the realm of the Spirit under the Spirit's control and totally dependent on the Spirit. For those of you who fish, you know that a fish has the freedom to act like a fish as he moves in the water. But what happens when you take that fish out of its habitat or its environment? It will no longer be able to function the way it's intended to function in the water. That, that's sort of an illustration of, of something that Paul is trying to say here. So it is with a child of God. He can only act spiritual while he's living under the influence of the Spirit. The Spirit must become the environment or the habitat by, uh, and the means by which the Christian exercises his liberty in Christ. When I fail to obey the command, I remove myself from the environment and the habitat in which I will experience. Precisely what Paul is saying ought to be true of me as one who seeks to be spiritual. I become a fish out of water. There's three characteristics that will mark the spiritual walk. The first one, and I can't read the verses, but you can look at them if you want at your own time, is is sort of found in Ephesians 4.30. The first characteristic says that the believer will not grieve the Holy Spirit. If you're going to walk by the Spirit, one thing will be true about you. You do not grieve the Holy Spirit. When is the Spirit grieved? Well, the Spirit is grieved when the 
believer deliberately and persistently sins against his fellow Christians, Ephesians 4, 25 through 32. Conversely, he must confess and forsake those sins. Don't grieve the Spirit. A second characteristic is he will not quench the Spirit. He quenches the Spirit when he refuses to permit the Spirit to express himself through that person's life. In other words, when you fail to submit or you fail to yield to the Spirit, you're quenching the Spirit. You're stamping out the divine fire within. And the third characteristic is he will be filled with the Spirit. So walking by the Spirit will exemplify those things in the life of the person who is doing that. You will not grieve the Spirit, you will not quench the Spirit, and you will be filled with the Spirit. Now when Paul says that you should be filled with the Spirit, he's not in any way meaning to say that one gets more of the Holy Spirit. What he's actually meaning to say is that the Spirit gets a whole lot more of me. Now if we walk by the Spirit, the result of constant obedience, and this is not a one-time thing, remember, this is progressive sanctification. I don't make a decision this morning to walk by the Spirit and thus going forward, I just automatically walk by the Spirit. I make that decision intentionally, deliberately, all the time, every day, likely dozens of times a day. But listen to what the promise says. If I live in obedience to that command, I will not carry out the desire of the flesh. Now, if you are living in sin or you're battling with sin constantly, I would challenge you to think about whether or not you're walking by the Spirit. If you are not, then the flesh is having victory over you. And he says there's a remedy for this. Simply obey the command. Now, it's not that easy. But what I'm saying is that it is possible because God says that will be the outcome if you simply do what I tell you to do. Walk by the Spirit. I mean, the negative is very emphatic. It's as if to say he's saying you shall absolutely positively not fulfill. He's saying it that way. There is no exception. Victory over the possibility of daily sins comes from complete surrender to the Holy Spirit, not from conformity to a legalistic code. We've tried the legalistic route, haven't we? And we are frustrated to no end because we never experience the glorious victory that comes by actually obeying the simple command, walk by the Spirit. The flesh, in this verse, refers to the sin principle which operates through man's human nature. It functions through the mind, the will, the emotions, even the physical organs. Notice that he says the desire of the flesh, that then incorporates all of the evil desires that originate within the fallen human nature. The desire of the flesh must be distinguished from those allurements which stem from Satan and the world, although these two make their appeal to man's baser self. The point here is a spiritual believer is not promised when he says that if you walk by the Spirit, you will not fulfill the desire of the flesh. That's not to say that the, the spiritual believer is guaranteed relief from temptation, but that he will be delivered from the fulfillment of those temptations is the point. So as a spiritual Christian, you will still have the onslaught. The onslaught's not what you're being relieved from, but it's the victory 
from the bad decision that leads to the consequences of that bad decision, a sinful choice. And again, life is nothing more than really a series of choices, isn't it? Every single day, all day long, we're making choices. Are we saturated in the Word of God? Are we filled with the Spirit so that day by day, moment by moment, our decisions in essence are being made by God Himself? We're just simply obeying them as they come to mind as the onslaught.